Hello and welcome to Words That Burn. On this special episode, I have an interview with Dara Fleming. Dara Fleming is a poet, writer and mental health advocate from Cork, Ireland. He writes the Thoughts Too Big blog, which won the Mental Health Blog of the Year 2022. Uh, he has written several publications, with his most recent being Lonely Boy in 2022. And he has an upcoming collection, Enigmatic, soon to be published from Sunday mornings at the River. Hi, Dara. How's it going? Beautiful intro, man. Beautiful. No, doing really good. <laughs> and very excited to be on. Like, I've been a fan of the podcast forever. A lot of my favorite poets have been on. So it's an absolute honor to be here. Oh, that's very, very kind of you. That is high praise from my <laughs> podcast and I appreciate it. So Dara, I wanted to have you on um, just to talk about, you're a huge mental health advocate and uh, a poet in your own right. And I wanted to talk to you about the intersection of mental health and poetry mm-hmm. and kind of get a sense of how those two things interact in sure. your life. So in general, how how has poetry influenced your approach to mental health and well-being? Yeah, it's it's something that's coming up a lot recently, kind of because since Lonely Boy came out, my two worlds have kind of collided with like writing, meeting mental health. And, but it's always been there in, in my poetry. And I, I started writing poetry, taking it kind of seriously, I suppose, uh, when I was depressed, uh, when I was in my early 20s. Because what I found was when I was depressed, I couldn't really feel emotions very strongly. And the ones I did feel were so convoluted and vague that I didn't even know which ones I was feeling. And so I started to write about them. And these writings, my journaling style generally takes the form of poetry anyway. And it just, it started allowing me to be mindful and in the moment with the emotion, which allowed me to feel it stronger. So if I was feeling happiness and I started writing about it, I could kind of maintain the emotion because it was very difficult at that time. And that's kind of how the poetry for mental health started for me. It was very much a a tool I used to climb out of depression because the strange thing about depression for me was that like I, because I wasn't feeling emotions, I wasn't feeling the fear of not being able to feel emotion. I just thought it was normal. I thought it was just how I was. And then once I found poetry and I realized, oh no, I'm supposed to be feeling emotion, then I really latched onto the poetic form and just used it to allow myself to actually express and feel emotion. Great. Were there any particular poets or poems that really connected with you during that time? Or was it just whatever came? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because like, I'm probably not the most traditional poet in that like, I didn't come to poetry as a fan of it initially. I came to it as like, sure. I need to do something to figure out my own mental health. So I wasn't even like when I started, uh, naturally any poetry starting, my poems were terrible and I wasn't reading enough of it to get good at it. And it's only been in the last three or four years that I've been, you know, actually embodying poetry and reading a lot of it and, you know, improving the 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 form. Because like when I started, it was very much a tool for mental health. There wasn't anything beyond that. I wasn't even thinking about publishing or getting published. That came later when a friend told me I could. So like poet, like one poet that stands out to me is a very good mental health writer is Molly Toomey. Uh, Patrick Holloway does a lot of greats poetry in men's mental health and masculinity and it's just that whatever feels raw and vulnerable and scary to to show people is the poetry I tend to to lean towards because you're being extremely vulnerable in order to try and connect with someone and I think that's why I'm I'm more lean towards like poets like Molly poets like Patrick 
Yeah, absolutely. Two phenomenal poets who really do kind of a lyric poetry style that is incredibly confessional, but also hopeful at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I still haven't recovered from uh, Raised Among Vultures. I, I think oh, I'm it's incredible. still kind of, incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an unreal collection. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you talk about that connection, you know, and, and bridging that gap between other people and yourself or between you and certain emotions, do you find that poetry is an easy way for you to connect with other people? Do you find that you get a good response to the poetry that you write in that way? Or Yeah, like I definitely, but it's interesting how how people connect with the poetry. So like I often say the subsection of the population who read is quite small and the subsection of that population who read poetry is even smaller. Uh, like a lot of my friends wouldn't be writers and they'd rarely go into a shop and buy a book. So they'd never go into a shop and buy a poetry book. What I've found is like using video form and using music and doing like you're reading your own poetry. If people find it in that way, they really, really resonate with it and it really hits them in a different way. Whereas they might not mm-hmm. have ever read the poem, but when they hear it, and it's very much like, like my style is quite conversational. I don't typically try anything very fancy with my, my language because I'm just trying to reach people who mightn't ever pick up a poetry book. And trying to get them to think about different aspects of mental health. Uh, loneliness comes up a lot for me. Uh, depression, rejection, you know, longing for relationships. All, all these kind of themes come up. And these come up for everyone in in life. So it's just trying to make sure people don't feel alone and feel in that way. Mm. Yeah. So those are those are quite complex topics, I suppose, that you choose to write about. When you started to look at publishing your work or approaching it, towards bringing it to a wider audience i suppose other than as a as your own self-care tool mm-hmm. do you find that it's challenging to write about those topics in the moment do, are you a take a break come back to it kind of guy is it a, a single burst of emotion for you or you know what's what's the process there for because they're heavy topics mm-hmm. you know yeah no for sure and i'm very much a a kind of impromptu instinctive poet like when I write essays or write short fiction, it's it's far more structured. Like you, you make time and you, you sit down and you force yourself to write. But for me with poetry, it's very much if I'm feeling the emotion, I'll try and write about it as soon as possible. So often I'm jotting notes on my phone or a notebook that's near my bed or whatever. And I just try to get to it as soon as possible and, and get a first draft. And it's it it's always been like that. It's never been something that I'll be kind of sitting down with purpose to write poetry it almost comes at the the wrong time uh, like I'll be out with friends or I'll be out for a walk and I'm like the poem's coming now and I have to try and try and write it down and so the my creative process in poetry is very instinctive rather than like you know trying to actually write poems I let the poems come to me yeah absolutely I suppose it keeps that kind of essence of the emotion that you're trying to bring across mm-hmm. alive and well in the work when that happens you also spoke a little bit about performing poetry over reading poetry as a way of kind of reaching that, as you said, very minority subsection of the population that reads mm-hmm. poetry. That, that This podcast was very much founded on the basis of hearing poetry aloud, mm-hmm. which I, I can't remember where I heard that, but it, it really struck a chord with me and got me into poetry. I'm going to have to look that up now and, <laughs> and put it somewhere in the description. 
But you are quite active on social media in lots of different forms. I think you and I first connected over Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. Or, or X, X, as it's called now. Called. I, <laughs> I, I really shudder to call it that. But yeah, anyway, did. I've also found your work spontaneously through TikTok. You, you've come up on my For You page. It seems that your performance aspect is, is much clearer on, on something like TikTok than it is on X, because obviously it's a... Uh, written format versus an audio one how how do you find reading your poetry for social media how do you find that impacts the style that you work in i think it impacts it greatly like and i I always prefer to read someone my poetry than have them read it because like i didn't go i didn't go to college to study creative writing i have no real education in writing poetry it's very much something i i fell into because i liked it so i don't necessarily have that technical ability that other poets have you know that with the form and all that so for me it really comes from evoking the emotion and I can do that in the performance and often like someone might read a poem and they'll be like yeah that's good and then I'll perform the poem and they'll be like that's brilliant and it it all comes down to like where I'm making the breaks where I'm taking my stops the intonation it it all plays a part and I'm very aware of that like I, I did a master's in linguistics and I'm like been always acutely interested in how language can impact people depending on how you use it. And like you can read one poem one way and someone else can read it a different way under two different poems. So I think that that aspect's really important to me and it's something I'm trying to do more, trying to perform poetry more as I as I kind of go on in my career. Yeah, so you just had your first pamphlet there, I think you said last year, that was notes for a mid-youth crisis mm-hmm. um, and that was your first pamphlet and that came out from bottle cap yeah. press how did you find your way to deciding that like a pamphlet was something that you wanted to put out there and how do you find navigating performing those poems is there any kind of particular preparation that you do before you perform or, or anything like that so like I, I actually performed i'm in barcelona at the moment and i performed here a few weeks ago at an open mic that i was invited to and so i i just in may i wrote a new pamphlet called the whole uh, which was highly commended for the patrick Havan award which was absolutely huge and i wanted like congratulations thank you very much and like I, the reason i wrote that pamphlet is because i wanted it to be a performance piece Whereas with notes for a mini crisis, I didn't write that with the intention of it being a performance piece. It was very much just kind of my journalistic style. Here are some things I've thought of in my mid-twenties that might affect other people. And so it was kind of like, I was very new to like what a pamphlet could be. So if, if I was going to do it now, I'd probably do it quite differently because like the whole is quite thematic. Like it's very like we're focusing on masculinity and that's all we're kind of focusing on. Whereas notes for a mid crisis was kind of, and I, I like it in that, like it res, it reflects how my life was when I wrote it, which is kind of chaos. Like there's a poem about depression, there's a poem about Tinder, there's a poem about, I don't know, going to the shop. Like there's there's a lot of different things going on, and it's just kind of mirroring the life I was living. Whereas the more recent pamphlet, the whole, has been more like focused, and it's it was written to be performed, so they're they're quite different in that sense. There does seem to be a massive uptick in community-based performance of arts and literature. I'm thinking particularly here in Dublin, we have Shan Quija, which kind of kicked off here, which is the yeah. bi-monthly storytelling kind of initiative. Do you find that 
first of all, do you attend a lot of these kinds of things? And what do you think the the hurdles are for yourself when it comes to performance? And why do you think that might resonate so much with people? Yeah, I, I do a, find a it. I do find it fascinating as a concept because writers are like stereotypically introverted and hate being in public. And mm. we're moving into a space where writers have to be extroverted and be confident public speaking and out there in the world on social media or where, wherever else. So I find it interesting that the juxtaposition of where we are, because I remember when I was growing up, I didn't know the faces of any of my favorite writers. I just knew they wrote my favorite books and I didn't ever hear from them. So it's sure. quite different now. But like, like anything else, it just takes practice. Like I remember, like I do a lot of public speaking uh, with writing and just in mental health in general. When I started, absolutely nerve wracking. I remember my first poetry reading was at the Rebound Arts Festival in Cork. And it was for Notes for Midi's Crisis. And I was absolutely petrified to read in front of people. And what I, what I found, what I still find actually is that like, it's far easier to just talk to people. Like, here's my journey with mental health. And you just kind of ramble on. I find that easier than reading in front of people because you kind of have to focus on the words and, you know, you can stumble over words. So I still find that process challenging. Another challenge that blows my mind especially when people do like these long poetry shows that are 30 40 minutes that they've memorized every single word of their performance still finding that a challenge but we'll get there because i'm like tomorrow evening like i'm coming to dublin tomorrow because i'm performing a spoken word piece for the launch of november so which is exciting like i'm i'm very much want to be in that space but it's also daunting because you know you're you're performing rather than speaking to people which is different. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a whole other kind of interaction. Like speaking to people candidly is, I suppose, in one way easier to do because it's just reality. That's you do it every day. You you interact with people every day. Mm-hmm. Giving people your art is is a whole other risk. Like the thing that mm-hmm. you spend time on or the effort that you made, and then you kind of have to show it to people and be like, "This is this is my poetry. <laughs> Enjoy that." So, I I don't know if if you find this, but because you and I are Irish, there is a kind of a slow emergence of art, I guess, in the Irish scene. Depending on where you grew up and how you grew up in Ireland, you know, writing poetry, reading poetry, performing poetry would have gotten you laughed at maybe mm-hmm. even ten years ago. You know, mm-hmm. but we do seem to have reached a point now. And you mentioned that you wrote the whole, which is about masculinity and things like that. We do seem to be reaching a new kind of point where, you know, efforts to talk about mas- masculinity, toxic masculinity, all of these things are becoming a little bit more mainstream. And, and I was just wondering what you thought of that, both from a, a poetry point of view and from your work in mental health. Do you find that speaking about that type of masculinity? kind of engaging with young men, is that getting easier, do you think, as we move forward? Or are we in the same kind of spot that we were? No, I think it's it's definitely changing. And like I can see that in the last 10 years, even just from my own experience of mental health and my own friend group. But like, um, it's it's getting easier, but there's also new challenges. So like, while we are in a space where men are encouraged to talk about mental health and their emotions, um, you know, you have bad actors coming into the space as well. You're, you know, you're Andrew Tates and people like that who were kind of trying to reinforce a more traditional and often 
dangerous form of masculinity. So there's new challenges and that comes with social media. But in general, I do a lot a lot of talks for like TY students, uh, which will be men and women, but, you know, the engagement from both, you know, well, all genders is quite high. Like there's not, I wouldn't go into a, a classroom or go into a talk and be like, okay, like the girls engage with that, but the boys were tuned out often. And like, I mm. do benefit from the fact that I still thank God, look a bit young that they can kind of relate to me <laughs> in a sense, you know? So yeah. like when I go on stage, you're like, oh, it's not like a, a 50 year old man trying to tell him about mental health. It's a guy that, you know, I can kind of relate to him that we don't look that far apart in age and that helps. But like, for sure, it's getting easier to talk about. I think it'll still take another long while um, because we're talking about like a shift in behavior and culture that's been ingrained for centuries that it's not going to change overnight it's going to take years it's going to be slow it's going to be back and forth but we're moving in the right direction which is good yeah absolutely absolutely in terms of you know um poet we spoke a little bit at the start of the interview about the intersection between poetry and your mental health work I was wondering if you would have advice for anyone listening who wanted to try a similar poetic journalism mm-hmm. approach, if, if you want to look at it that way, if they wanted to write their own thoughts and ideas down, would you have a starting point for them to do that in? Would you have any advice for someone who was looking to try something similar? Yeah, like I think, you know, the first thing, because like the only reason I was able to start is because I had to accept how I was feeling. So for a long time, I I rejected the idea that I was feeling sad or feeling lonely. And then once I accepted it, then I had all these things to figure out. But like as a very, very starting point, probably forget about the poetry for the first instance and just get to journaling and get comfortable with talking about your emotions or writing about your emotions. And I do a thing, I'm not sure the technical title for it, but like brain brain dump journaling, where basically there's no wrong answers the first few paragraphs are just going to be about like the day you had, the room you're in. And then all of a sudden, eventually your mind will just take you to the place it needs to be. Like this thing is bothering me. I'm feeling stressed about this. I'm feeling anxious about this. And then you find the thing that's really the the crux of what's bothering you. And from that, you can, you know, okay, so this thing is making me anxious or this situation in this relationship is making me uh, uncomfortable. You can lift that out as a detail and, then begin to write a poem about it because like the thing about writing poetry about your emotions is like you're never going to run a subject matter you're always feeling emotions at different levels about different things so there's always a lot to, to write about and it's just finding a new perspective into that arena is where the poetry and the poetic technique comes in but if you want to find the subject matter just do brain dump journaling 10 minutes every day you will get the stuff out of it and then you can use that and it, not to say that that's easy either, because like you are now taking the most vulnerable part of how you're feeling and using it to make art, which makes the best art, but it's also the scariest way to make art because you're being extremely vulnerable. But that comes down to the decision you have to make as a poet, whether you want to, to do that or not. Absolutely. Yeah. No, really solid advice. So you, I suppose, are probably preparing to talk about this a little bit more because in about a week and a half, I think you have your TED talk. That is correct, yeah. So Thursday, November 2nd, which is yet another thing I have to memorize, <laughs> is, yeah, so we're talking about how to use, like my example is poetry, but how to use creativity in general to 
pull yourself out of a kind of mental health spiral. And the the idea is quite simple that if you use creativity to make something out of a bad experience. So for example, I've written a lot about depression and masculinity and loneliness because I've experienced bad depression and severe loneliness and had issues with masculinity and what it means to be a man. Uh, so they're all very tough experiences. But if you can use that matter to make art, you're turning the negative stuff into something positive and something unique and something new in the world. And doing creative stuff inherently makes you feel fulfilled it gives you purpose it gives you meaning and you need all of those things to live a a content and a happy life so it will inherently improve your mental health to use creativity in that way and that doesn't say it has to just be poetry like I talk a lot about how driving home a different way is creative how you cook is creative how you construct a narrative of your own life is creative there's multiple ways to be creative but it's just looking at your life through a lens of creativity brings mental health benefits inherently yeah absolutely when you talk about that kind of you know introducing creativity into your life when it when it came to your own journey into creativity which you might not have always had were there any particularly influential people that kind of made you decide to try that approach or was there a particular moment that you decided okay i'll I'll try and come up with a more creative way of doing it and then did you build that into a structure or do you just let creativity come to you as spontaneously as possible yeah it's a good question i think like it comes from multiple avenues there's poets there's musicians singers authors that have been influential um, i think one of my favorite poets is frank o'hara a poet from new york his notes for an emergency is actually kind of notes for a media crisis was kind of a, a nod to that pamphlet I, thought that was absolutely stunning and then like I've always been very interested in the poetic nature of good lyrics and songs so like whether it's rap music or you're kind of more traditional sing-songy like I when I was younger Eminem was a huge influence your Kid Cuddy's your Dermot Kennedy's like he's probably one of the most poetic singer-songwriters there is at the moment and, and it's just I think not that you have to because I think we get caught up in like we find someone we like and we feel like we have to be almost the exact same as them. And I find like you can you can pull pieces from everyone that influences you. Like I like how this person does that, and I like how that person does this. And it can it, you can draw it in. Or often like I remember even just in May, and this is the reason I wrote the whole to begin with is that I went to see Max Porter perform, and I thought mm. it was absolutely mind-bending how he performed his work because he wasn't just reading it like it was an actual performance and I woke up the next day just a head full of ideas and I scrambled and I think I wrote the whole 28 pages I wrote in about four days it was just like after that inspiration yeah. wow. you know? <laughs> and it's just moments like that and I think you know I read The Creative Way by Rick Rubin last year and Rick Rubin, obviously, you know, famous for getting the best music out of his artists and he doesn't have a clue about yeah. music and he says that himself, he's not very like musical, but he talks about living your life in the creative ways to like be open to anything being an inspiration and something very mundane could lead to something very not mundane. And I think it's just living and embodying that idea is what I try to do. And it's what I've been trying to do for the last six years, I think. Yeah, it's it's a daily task um, <laughs> that has to be undertaken every single day. It never ends. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Heads. So 
it never ends. You got to keep doing it. I I find anyway. Sometimes you know you, you get stuck in that cycle of of not being creative or not accomplishing the things that you set out to do in mm-hmm. the best way possible. And I, I find it can really impact your your getting on with it kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? So the other thing I wanted to ask you mm-hmm. because you have a, a collection coming out called Enigma. What what kind of prompted you to go from pamphlet mini collection to full-blown collection and and what can we kind of expect from that yeah like so it's so we had notes for a mini crisis and then last summer i did a pamphlet with another small press um the pamphlet was called poems that were written on trains but weren't written about trains uh, which is an absolute mouthful and so i was kind of like building it up in that way and i suppose for the pamphlets i was like getting to a point so I'd get to the stage where I had enough poems to do a pamphlet and then I'd be like, right, I should try and get these published. And then Train Poems was kind of more thematic. It's kind of a short story in poetic form. So that was different and it was based on a very specific point in my life. And then with the collection, it kind of just came about because for the last two years, I think I've been writing more poetry than I've been writing anything else. And there's just like my hard drive was just brimming with all these poems and I was just like okay not all of these poems are going to be in a collection but some of these poems make sense together and so it was the process of like figuring out which ones went together which ones didn't which ones were good which ones were bad and then Rebecca who's the editor at Sunday Mornings published three poems in an anthology last October and then after that was like if you ever want to do a collection just let me know and because she just wanted to do a collection with me and then it was a case of like, right, I really need to get into a space where I can figure out where the collection will come from, from all this work, because it was just kind of sitting there. And then, yeah, and then since then, like, it's been another another pamphlet in the whole. I've written a collaboration with Galiad Mani, who's a brilliant poet from London. Um, and then just like writing, like I set myself bizarre, almost insurmountable tasks. Like for October, I was like... <laughs> um write one poem a day for the entire month so which is really really hard to do and most most of them are terrible but like some of them have been like oh that's surprising i'm actually going to work on this one so like i just do i just enjoy writing i think that's the the basis of everything is like i just i don't feel right myself if i don't do a little bit of writing every day and it's not like i'm not trying to uh, promote the idea that like to be a writer you have to write every day i just feel uncomfortable Mm. if i don't so I try to do something every day and usually a poem is the most accessible way. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you would like to let listeners know about that's coming up for you? So Funk. Enigmatic is coming out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Enigmatic is coming out on November 24th. Um, there will be a launch in Cork on January 10th in the Cork City Library and I'll pass on details for that. Uh, the TED Talk is November 2nd which is ticketed, but it'll be on YouTube at some point, which is very exciting. And then other than that, oh, I'm doing the uh, first Fortnite festival with O'Vale on January 8th, and that's a mental health festival. So all very related to mental health as always, which is really exciting. Absolutely amazing. That's a that's a chock-a-block couple of months coming up for you. Dara Fleming, thank you so much for coming on and giving me your time. Um, hearing about your process and your journey to poetry through mental health advocacy has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks a million, man. 
if you've enjoyed this podcast or if you've been enjoying the podcast for a while, please consider leaving me a review wherever you listen. A link to the transcript of this interview is on my substack, which is below in the description. If you'd like more poetry-related content, you can find me on Instagram at Words That Burn Podcast or on Twitter at Words That Burn. I'm also on TikTok at Words That Burn Too. If you'd like to leave me a message or write me an email, you can get in touch through my website, www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com.